So how many of you know who Martin Luther is? No? Okay. You know, it's kind of hard to grow up Christian and not have some idea who Martin Luther is. But just to give you a little idea, he was a German theologian in, uh, in the 1500s. And he's the one who took issue with the Catholic Church when it came to what were called indulgences. And that was basically paying to get forgiven so that he could get into heaven. And he just kind of lost his mind over that, and it prompted him to kind of lose his mind over a lot of things. And he took those 95 ideas, and he hammered them on the door of the Wittenberg Church. And it began what we think of as the Protestant Reformation. Now, Henry VIII kind of took advantage of that on top of things when he wanted to marry Anne Boleyn, but basically that's when all of a sudden other denominations started up and people started taking issue with the Roman Catholic Church in protest. That's where the word Protestant comes from, is in protest to the Roman Catholic Church. So he's a big guy and he's pretty famous and and we quote him in a lot of ways for a lot of things, but there's a story about something he said one time that's I went, really? He was asked to describe what the nature of stewardship, devotion, and worship was. What's the best way to describe that? And you know what he answered? The tenth leper turning back. That's the gospel story that Adam read this morning about the ten lepers that were healed and the tenth one that turned back. To Martin Luther, that was the greatest indication of what it means to be devoted, to be a steward, and to worship Christ. Well, I think I want to figure out how, because that's a pretty short little story. So what possibly could it have to do with the true nature of worshiping? Well, the first thing you've got to notice in the story is it says that, that, that they were journeying, Jesus was journeying to Jerusalem, but it says he was passed along the borders of Samaria and Galilee. First of all, there are no borders. There's no no man's land there. You know, there's Samaria, there's, then there's Galilee. And second, it wasn't exactly the most direct route to Jerusalem. And third, it really wasn't where a lot of Jews would necessarily want to travel because they were fearful of the Samaritans. So either Luke doesn't understand geography, or he's trying to make a point by situating this story in this no-man's land, this in-between place. Because we know what's happening in the story, don't we? It is the inevitable journey to the cross. That's where we're at. As Jesus continues to teach and preach, and the crowds swell in their size, but that's the inevitable end, is Jerusalem. And along the way, he enlightens people about what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And I use that phrase kingdom specifically because it's all of us. What is the kingdom of God going to look like? 
And so Luke places this story in this in-between place, if you will. Because in that in-between place, that's where those ten lepers live, isn't it? Because they're shunned. They're not really able to be a part of their own community because of their skin disease. And it may not necessarily be leprosy like we think of Hansen's disease. Any kind of skin disease was a big deal in ancient Israel. And, and so it's, it could be anything, but basically it kept them apart from. And so Luke is trying to tell us that God inaugurates through Jesus in that in-between space with the least and the lost and the lonely. And there isn't really anything in this story that's unique. There isn't anything that's incredibly amazing. There's a brief healing, and then Jesus sends them on their way to the priests. What does he say? Um, He doesn't, he just says, okay, go and show yourself to the priest. They still got whatever the skin disease is, and so then the ten of them go off to see the priest, and the reason they have to do that is in ancient Israel. The law was that if you have some kind of skin disease that's kept you separate from us, we don't want you with us, you've got to go to the priest and show that you were healed before you're allowed to be in the community. And so the ten of them, okay, Jesus says, go and show the priest, and as they're walking along, they're healed. Well, now, nine of them just kept walking to the priest because that's what Jesus said to do. And it's kind of an odd thing, but the one stops. And suddenly realizes, I'm healed. I have been healed. And he turns and looks at Jesus and says, who is this person? What has just happened? And all of a sudden, he sees who Jesus is. And he goes back and he falls down and he worships Jesus. And that's when Jesus says, where are the other nine? You know, your faith has healed you. He was a Samaritan, that tenth leper. Remember, they were afraid of Samaritans. They were foreigners. So not only has Jesus performed this healing, but the one who has been moved and who has seen Jesus is a foreigner, is a Samaritan. And so you wonder, what's going on here? What is Jesus trying to tell us? I think one thing that Jesus is trying to tell us is that one more time in incredibly ordinary circumstances, people have been healed, people have been saved, people have been made whole. Because Jesus responds by saying, your faith has made you well. 
That's what it says in the New Revised Standard in the NIV. Your faith has made you well. In the egalitarian or inclusive version that we use, it says your faith has saved you. Now, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, uses the words, your faith has healed and saved you. Because the reality is the Greek that's used in this phrase can be translated as healed or made well or saved. And it can also be translated, as it is in the King James Version, your faith has made you whole. But the point is, however you choose to translate that word, there's more going on at stake here. There's more happening here than simply being healed physically. Something else is taking place. So taken together, maybe it's the possibility that Jesus is trying to instruct his followers then and now that faith is not just a matter of believing only, but also of seeing. All the lepers were healed. One, however, saw, noticed, and let it sink in, and it made all the difference. That tenth leper, his life was changed in ways beyond being physically healed. Imagine it, to suddenly see and know what has just happened to you and to realize, I don't know if he realized that he was Jesus the Messiah and all, but he knew that this man had healed him and something was going on and he had to go and drop on his knees and thank him. Praise God, Jesus. So maybe, just maybe, what Jesus is saying in this little short story that Martin Luther was so fond of and who thought it was the true nature of worship is that what we see makes all the difference. Because the other nine lepers didn't see anything, did they? They just marched their way to the priest and didn't give it another thought. They did not see who Jesus was and what Jesus had done. So seeing makes all the difference. So I ask you, in the face of adversity, do we see danger or do we see opportunity? I know every one of you sitting here has been in a circumstance where you were facing adversity. Whether it had to do with health, your career, your living circumstances, and you have to say, am I going to see this as dangerous or is this an opportunity? And I am going to seek God and I am going to rise above this. In the face of human need, do we see demand or do we see a gift? Do we see one more time somebody wants something from me? Or do we see, thank you, God, 
that I have the ability to help. You know, years ago, I was working with somebody in 12-step recovery, and they had a teenage daughter, which, bless them, was something that I was never, never had to do. And her teenage daughter was apparently a tad disobedient. I can't even remember now what it was, but mom was not a happy camper. And whatever it was, this gal, what she saw in that behavior was this, that this is, this is the only way to interpret it. And every single parent of a teenage girl would have seen the same thing. And I had to suggest, no, I don't think every mother of a teenage daughter would have seen it exactly the same way. That's what Jesus is saying. How do you see the world? In the face of a stranger, do we see a potential enemy or do we see a friend? I had an experience recently that made me wonder. I was with a group of folks who are all uh, religious, and they weren't clergy, but, you know, faithful Christian believers. And I'm I'm just kind of getting to know them, and so they don't know everything about me, but they know I'm uh, a pastor. And so we were talking about things, and one gal was talking about how she wants to try and be more comfortable or to have a better understanding of diverse groups, you know, for example, LGBT. And I just sat there thinking, oh, okay, what's coming? You know, because I had not told them that I was a lesbian. I went, I want to go, really, you didn't know? But anyway, um, um, and she and this one other gal who was saying, yeah, kept using the phrase, those people. They must have said those people four or five times. And I just almost couldn't breathe. So, you know, it's, you know, it kind of went on, and, and so we were going to have a little dinner, and I said, probably need to share a little something. <laughs> and I said, uh, by the way, I said, I'm a lesbian, and I have to tell you that I'm offended by the phrase, those people. And I said, this is, I don't want to get in a theological discussion, because one of the gals said, well, you know, it's, a, it's a, an abomination. It always has been. Breathe, Lynette. I said, I'm really going to get into the discussion about the Bible and the authority and translations and doctrine and any of that. I said, I simply want to be respected. And that term, you know, I'm not one of those people. (laughs) You know, I said, I am, and I use the phrase, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, exactly the way God intended. 
and I'm very clear who I am. But that's what Jesus is talking about. What do you see when you see a stranger? When you see someone different than you? Do you see an enemy, something to be feared, something to think is a different kind of entity? Or is it just another human being that you can create a friendship with? And what's interesting is the gal who started the conversation is a, it's a new friend of mine. And um, the gift and the miracle was that I said something. Because you know, things are good between us now. But that's what it is. What do you see, Jesus says, when you see adversity? What do you see when you see a stranger? What do you see when you see the face of human need? And more than that, when we look to God, do we see a stern judge or a loving parent? What do you see? When we look to ourselves, do we see failure or a beloved child of God? I'm not going to ask you to answer. But what do you see? What do you see? Because I know that we've gotten a lot of messages that tells us that we are not enough. What do you see? And when we look to the future, do we see fearful uncertainty or an open horizon? This is huge right now. And it's essential that we look to God, we look to our Redeemer, and say, what do you see? Do you see uncertainty or an open horizon? Because the God that we love and that we serve, the Christ who redeems us, is a God of hope and a God of wonder, and a God of salvation, and a God of, of love. What was I teasing about last night, the four things we raise up? Justice, truth, beauty, and love. But we do. Now here's the hard part about this on what do you see that Jesus asked in the face of these ten lepers. There is no right answer to any of these questions. I'm sorry. There's only your answer. And it's not right or wrong. But I ask you to start paying attention to what do you see in God and in yourselves and in others and in the world. And do you see, like that tenth leper, a God and a Redeemer who will save you? I believe how we answer that question depends on what our outlook is and how we view all of life is impacted by what we see. All of these lepers were made well. 
but only one of them was saved. And I don't necessarily mean that in the 21st century definition of what it is to be saved. That tenth leper was saved and his life was transformed. And my guess is he never lived another day quite the same because of what he saw in the power of Christ in front of him. He had seen Jesus. He'd recognized the blessing of who Jesus was and rejoiced in it. And it changed the course of his action and his behavior. Of that, I am absolutely certain. And because he had seen what had happened, this tenth leper is not just healed, he is made whole. Drawn back into a relationship with God and humanity. So in all of these ways, he has been, if we must choose just one word, he's been saved. So what is true stewardship and devotion and worship and Christian living? Maybe Martin Luther is correct. Maybe it is the 10th leper who had seen because what we see makes all the difference. You know, every Sunday we sing No Matter. I love that song. Um, and I've almost got it memorized. I'm, I'm tragic with lyrics, uh, but almost. But as we were singing it today, I like really heard the second verse. The God who spoke through Christ speaks to us. Listen to our Savior's call. Welcome home, welcome in, welcome one and all. Pray with me. God of wonder and majesty and grace and mercy, how grateful we are for the life of the tenth leper who saw you, who was moved and changed and saved as a result. Help us know, dear God, that what we see makes all the difference. Help us see you and each other and the world with eyes of hope and faith and plenty and wonder and majesty. Amen.